0: Hello and welcome to the installment of the Y Football Podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Etches Adogru. Today, amid the fallout from England's defeat to Italy in the Euro 2020 final at Wembley, we discuss how far England have come under Gareth Southgate. Before we start, please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, EarCast, and YouTube. Uh, good evening, Etchez. Uh, how are you doing? I, I believe I saw you um, as one of the hooligans barging through the doors at Wembley. Uh, saw a clip of you. As is this correct? Uh, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that that joke was so bad. <laughs> I'm not
1: even going to credit it with an answer. But no, unfortunately, it wasn't at the final. I was watching it at um, a pub in South London, at a random location. Obviously, it's very, very sad with the final result. Um, but there are some positives for me. I think overall, there's always positives when you lose. Um, hence, we're doing this episode to shine a light on them. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, in terms of how am I still a bit sad of the defeat, um, Arsenal just lost to Hibs in pre-season as well, oh. uh, so, so, so yeah, it's not looking good, but how are you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm not bad, I thought I'd be more sad about England losing, I was very sad at the time, but like I've gotten over it quicker than what I thought I would, um, I mean, even though we've only had a, a couple of days, uh, I think just, just getting to a final I thought I'd never see in my lifetime, so that in itself was like just incredible to see, but obviously it was heartbreaking at the end uh, Pickford nearly nearly became the hero two penalty, two penalty saves and you're not winning the shootout it's just mad like <laughs> he must be um, he must be absolutely fuming but no it's um, yeah but aside from that not bad um, and now though I just you know what it is yeah this, it makes it worse I'm a Son of fans this makes it even worse but going from watching like that calibre of game then going to watching that like, regular season or like pre-season or in particular League 1 is going to mm. be it's going to be a stretch So I thought we'd kind of break up
1: the episode into some of the positive sections. So, you know, I think first one for me is the media. And, you know, public perception has changed massively for the England squads. And that can't be underestimated. You know, I remember back in Capello's time where matchup was banned and the players Mm. seemed like a very us versus them. I think as well, though, under Capello which was interesting was, you know, he had this massive reputation and England like really trusted him to do a really good job. but Ultimately, results uh, were disappointing and the players seemed quite miserable. Uh, you, you hear ex-pros as well, such as Rhea Ferdinand and Frank Lampard and um, Ben Foster and all these types of characters go on about how disjointed the camps were, how mm. the first Man United stayed with Man United's How you know that that's all changed? I think the media perception now, by having access to these players, seeing them, you know, swim together or play basketball together, yeah, the real camaraderie with the players, which I don't think, well, I know previous generations say didn't exist, and for the public, we had no idea. You know, part of the reason why people love seeing Bukayo Saka, for example, or why they love seeing people like Jack Grealish is because of these clips of the media or the England Mm. media team have shown us, right? You know, when they're doing like shooting drills and they are having a laugh. And I think that's really humanised the player, yeah. which benefits them because for part-time yeah. fans or fans that aren't that involved, they want to say, you know what? I don't love football. I love following England, but these guys are really likeable. And I think that will really benefit England in the future tournaments.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it like completely um, kind of connects kind of the younger generation with these players. So like, I think England did a lot of work um have really stepped up their media work with the likes of twitter and instagram they've got all these like video montages you've got like you know people from different backgrounds getting involved different artists from different genres on these clips and it's really actually engaging with the youth and engaging with actually some of those players that are in the squad i mean some of these these players like kids like 19 20 um so having that kind of atmosphere of as all atmosphere of old um as you mentioned under capello where it was like (laughs) authoritarian kind of um, regime with, as you said, the players sitting on their own tables or um, just not mixing generally, whereas now they're actually mixing, they're mixing, we saw the squad versus the media darts game, for example, if we talked about the media elements, like before, I don't know if you've seen Mike Bassett's England manager at HS. I only actually watched it for the first time quite recently, and it's obviously just like a big joke of a film, <laughs> <laughs> a bit like an Ali G kind of, Sasha Baron Cohen kind of film, even though he didn't yeah. make it. Um, and on that, it's really kind of like, just the journalists, journalist, almost like the journalist versus the England team or versus like the managers to try and like get stuff out of them because they they're trying to bleed stuff out, whereas the the suspicious kind of England coaching staff or the manager, Mike Bassett is just not giving anything back whereas now they're actually mixing. you're always going to have that kind of to and fro in, I think, or between the media and I kind of say the setup's like you know they the media want to know everything england don't want the media to know everything for obvious reasons you know sense of information you know to not to give information away to the sides but seeing like the squad versus the media dart games um i just think it was quite a nice touch and it builds into this overall like facet that you mentioned around actually just making quite a nice place to be a nice camp i mean yeah i recall, I recall hearing stories from like um that kind of era as well where you know players you refer to the capello era where like players don't want to even you know feature for the national side not in the tournaments but like they get called up for a friendly they want to go maybe they call their agency and how can you, how can you get me out of this game can I feel an injury of some description um whereas now they look like they really actually love being there like the as you said the sucker stuff where he's on that like inflatable unicorn <laughs> yeah. and it, it was the same with pickford in 2018 and Harry Maguire on the back of this unicorn it looks ridiculous but like it actually makes it look like a nice place to be. And I think it's easier in, it's arguably easier in England because we obviously, we basically played the whole tournament in England and had access to our own facilities. But even in Russia, they did a, a lot of work around creating a camp that was, you know, a good place to be and actually fun to be. Like and these are kids, mate. These are like teenagers. They don't want to be sitting around in shirt and tie, having these like. I mean, they might be doing that anyway, but like having this really strict schedule regime and can't yep. talk to each other. Can't you know? Can't have a drink if they want to, which is not really an issue now, but maybe twenty years ago was. Um, so I think it's a huge point um, around why England have have come on since say the Capello era.
1: Yeah, I think they've done really, really. I think it's it's helped. It really helps with the media back, in, I know that in when people win or lose there there are criticisms as there should be because you know when you don't win there must be a reason right Mm. but i think the support for a lot of the players for the nation i know there has been a lot of abuse which has gone on which isn't tolerable at all yeah you know but there's been so much support and i think that is in part due to how they they see these players as humans too often Mm. sportsmen away from football are seen as machines right Mm-hmm. That can just keep on going. They have no personality, no empathy, no feeling, but they do. And I think that's what the media has really helped these England players, you know, be able to show to the world, which I think has really impacted their performances. And on top of all of like that, we've got Gareth Southgate, who has spoken brilliantly on multiple issues for the England camp, whether it's been taking of the knee whether it's been abusive players, whether it's been about penalty takers, whether it's been about form on certain players. Yep. I remember when there was so much media uproar about Trent and he promised him his place. And I think he's spoken really, really, really well to the media, which has helped galvanise support. I mean, it's very rare. People may criticise him as an actual manager, but mm-hmm. in terms of being a nice person, which I think is actually helpful in international football, which is a different game, I think he's been second to none. And I think uh, he's been brilliant for England for that reason.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I saw I've had so many conversations with friends around, like, like them saying, like Southgate's not a top manager. Why have we got Gareth Southgate? Even like, you know, mainly before the World Cup and the success of that. Um, but even like after the World Cup when we did so well before this tournament, saying we don't have faith in Gareth Southgate because, I mean, he done in the game? But I mean, what what did Joachim Low do in the game before he went to Germany? You know, at the international level, you don't have. There isn't really this pull for great coaches to go and manage at international level because obviously it's completely different to club level. It's, it is to an extent overall. I mean, the World Cup is the most prestigious tournament in world football, arguably, but the rest of it isn't necessarily as prestigious as winning on the club stage. It's obviously not as lucrative. You're not playing a lot. You're not with the players a lot. It's a completely mm-hmm. different type of role. Really, it's completely different. And obviously, they're very similar in the fact that they've got to pick football, uh, pick sides for football matches on a on a match day, but. It, They've, they spend a lot of time going and viewing players that are not, you know, they're linked to other clubs. There's a lot of politics around that. Um, and so I think, like and I've said to, to friends, like the, having a pragmatist such as um, Southgate in terms of off the pitch, not necessarily about tactics, but off the pitch, having someone who can really galvanise a squad, actually make it somewhere players want to be, it's, it's been so key. And the fact is, he's just this nice guy, I saw a quote and I can't verify it, but I saw a quote on Twitter where um, I think it was, I don't know what publication it was even on. So it's quite a poor, a poor reference, but apparently a player had asked if it was okay to call Southgate, big nose <laughs> in training, because I think for them, they just seen like the England set up as a bit of a joke. And then when Southgate came in, what, what did that do to appease it? You had the Aldi's debacle, which is a joke in itself. And then Southgate comes in, everyone's like, oh my God, what like, where this guy is literally managed it at Middlesbrough hmm. and the other twenty ones or whatever, and it, this isn't how is he gonna stay England to glory? But actually his work off the pitch has led to us to actually have a obviously the cult the foot we've got a better side now. And I'm not gonna overlook the fact that we have a much better side than what we did in Hodgson's era, for example, where we went out to Iceland. We do have a better side. But I don't think the those sides of, of the old the Capello side for example, these aren't they weren't bad sides. Um and they should have done a lot better than what arguably they did. So I think the way they've reshaped the kind of format and how they've galvanised the whole squad has just been excellent, has been such a massive factor in bringing us through. Yeah, definitely has. And hopefully now it
1: can really uh, drive England on uh, for the future. Because I really do think now this is a pivotal moment. I thought the the semi-final before was a shock and this was still a surprise Mm. to many. But I think they're really building momentum to potentially you know, come out of this even better next time, you know, and I think, as I said, the media perception of the team and the way the players have come across to the media has definitely been a massive, massive boost for England compared to previous campaigns. So the next Mm. one I wanted to look at was youngsters Uh, going into the competition. England had the second youngest uh, group in the competition behind Dryden's favourite team, Turkey. (laughs) Um, They had the youngest team in terms of weighted minutes which um, I assume is deduced by the number of minutes I've gone to young players. Mm. I think it's been critical exposure or critical experience to some key players who are only going to get better. You know, I think the exposure for Bellingham, who's playing league uh, championship football two years ago, will be exceptional for Saka, uh, you know, Sancho, Rashford. Even the slightly older players like Calvin Phillips is still quite young. Mm. You know, there are other players, Phil Foden as well. Dominic Calvert lewin you know, players that are good, can only get better. And this experience would really, really help them. You know, I think 2022 was what Greg Dyke said when he was uh, chairman. That was the aim for England before the 2018 World Cup. And I think when you look at the team and how it's transformed over that time, you can definitely see that that being feasible. Um, There are some changes to make in that squad. But one of the positives is youngsters, and, and a point I'd like to make, actually, which is slightly controversial, is I think that what Southgate did in terms of his penalty selection says a lot about how he sees England's future. And mm, I know yeah. that people are saying, "Oh, you know, experienced heads should take it," and there's loads of information on Twitter about who's missed, how many penalties, and who's taken them. But <laughs> I think it, I think it, I think it's a real, it's a really brilliant statement and a very brave call. To look at some of the younger members to your squad and say these are the players that are going to be here in the future and who I trust because they, often we scream and we screamed about Phil Foden for years because Pep Guardiola didn't trust him because he felt he wasn't ready and I think for England what we're doing is we're entrusting these young players with big moments and unfortunately this time they let they let they, they 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 didn't manage to score but I think that only puts us in good stead again to move forward. I mean, you would be hard pressed to find a manager who goes and picks such a young crop towards the end of the shootout. But I'm here for it. I really am because I think those three guys in particular, in Rashford, Sancho, and Saka, will be or already are world beaters. Mm.
0: Yeah, and (laughs) also Southgate was with with that squad, and the squad were together for what, like six, seven weeks. So, and they would how often would they've trained penalties? A lot. So, how many times have you seen? (laughs) Um, but Saka would take a penalty uh, in training. I know it's not the same. I know he's never t- so. I know he's never taken one professional football like you know since he's broken through. That's also because of his age and the fact that he's only just came off the, the back of a breakthrough season. But he would have seen him take countless penalties. I don't think he's so. I get, I, get, I take your point and I, I agree with it. Um, but I also think Southgate would have also fancied him to to score because of, because he's seen him seen him take penalties. Um, I did think that Bellum would possibly play more, but. I suppose that Rice Phillips combo did work so well, Um in some regards, you he did make changes every game, Southgate. But you know, overall, you know, you don't in these total football, you don't tend to change a winning side. France didn't too much in the World Cup in 2018, um, particularly in the spine, and that's where we didn't change at all, really. Whereas on the flanks, we did. Um, but I thought Belen might feature a bit more, maybe it's get you know a bit more, a bit more game time. I do kind of wonder. And this is kind of is a little bit of a question for you, really, at Chasers. I wonder if Sancho and Bellingham would have featured more had they been playing in England, which is not necessarily like a an attack at Southgate for saying well, you're not picking players to play abroad because it is such a new thing for us to have English players of good quality playing abroad. You mm-hmm. know, and it's even then there's not that many still. Um I wonder had they played in England, if Sancho had been playing Premier League football, would he um have started more more games? I mean COVID would have affected Southgate and his staff's ability to travel. But then that is the case for every international manager. So um, I don't know what you think about that. No, I think. Look, there's
1: an argument about Jane Sancho from England fans. Look, I've watched Sancho in full matches about 10 times in my life away from England. Yeah. And I would say that that is more than about 85% of people that are telling me that Sancho should play.
0: Yeah. I'm fully
1: yeah. aware with his numbers because we live in an era of social media and numbers. You know, people doubt that people such like Ryan Giggs wasn't any good because he wasn't scoring 15 goals a year wide. Because a lot of wingers do score 15 goals now wide. A lot of people now say Burkham wasn't very good because they go on Wikipedia and they type in Birken and say, "Oh, well, he didn't <laughs> score. He 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 wasn't scoring 22 goals in the Invincible season." And when you look at Sancho's numbers, they're remarkable. You can't. I can't doubt that or fault that. And as an attacker, I would say from what I have seen, as he probably does offer more than Saka. No, he he definitely does. But is what. You want for England, right? That's not the best England 11 that we've seen in terms of ability, mm. but it's the best 11 that we picked that we feel could win the game. I would assume someone like Saka's work rate will always off the ball and defensive work will always put him instead to go ahead of Sancho because you know we have quite a pragmatic approach, whether you think that's right or wrong. Yeah, so his inclusion over Sancho, I understand, but I'm not just going to sit here and start telling you that Bakay Saka is a far better player because I don't agree. But it's all mm-hmm. about the best 11. For Bellingham, I think to be in central midfield in 18 is very difficult. People start screaming to me and say, Pedri. And I think yeah. England, England are pragmatic. They are. They are, That's what Southgate wants to, be and that's what he wants to do. So, yeah, again, he's another player with, you know, maybe the, the following Euros is probably a better shot, but he'll be very experienced by that point. But we have the handbrake on approach. You know whether you agree with that or not is up to you. Um, but I, I don't think they would have played more if they're in the Premier League. I really don't think that. I just think mm. that one is very young, and the other is unfortunate to be vying for one spot. A, a flip note of all of this is that Sterling is undroppable for England. Yeah. I think if Sterling didn't exist, we would be seeing Sancho taking up a slot compulsory. And then we would yeah. see another wide player compliment Sancho. I think what we're seeing for England is someone complimenting Sterling, which I think is Saka more than like a Jaden Sancho type.
0: Yeah. And to be fair, they all got their chance, didn't they? Forden started yeah. on that. Because that right wing position, I mean, there's only really, um, no, looking back in hindsight, there was only really a couple of spaces up for, up for grabs, really, that were actually yeah. going to be were kind of contentious. You had right wing, right back, left back being possibly the main areas. Yeah. Um, And I mean, depending on the shape that he played, obviously, we discussed that. And obviously, he did change it for the Germany and for the final, the Germany game in the final. Um, But he did give each player the chance at at right wing. He started with Foden. I can't recall if he started with Greenwich any game. But um, yeah, it was the Scotland game that um, Greenwich started, but not on the right. But um, Saka got his chance, Sancho got his chance, as did Foden. And the one that did the best out of all of them, in theory, or the one that was more effective, and as you said, complement still and Kane a lot better, was Saka. And his serum pace yeah. and his, his technical ability, and he was excellent. Um, and he had that kind of youthful feelness to an extent that we don't often see in England setups. You know, we England setups of old; it's very nervy. It might go back to our point earlier, but they've actually got a, a feel-good factor camp now, so they can feel like they can actually lose, even though the meet, even though what we've seen from the finals suggests otherwise. Because you know the camp have been great, but the fans haven't in, in defeat. no, you know, the minor- we still say it's a minority, but there's been a lot of issues since then. Um, but having someone like someone youthful like him, feeling like he could really express himself on the biggest stage for his country and play without fear, um, was perhaps why he got put ahead. And there's actually again just another reason why I feel that Southgate has really galvanised this team at um, more so than the likes of Hodgson. And, <laughs> and I'm just so glad we didn't have Aladice. I know was, <laughs> I know it was at Sunderland, but Who? that would have been Aldicio. Ah, uh, was- yeah, yeah, Aldicio. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. No know, know him well. finest. Italy's finest. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: Yeah, no, I think Seth Allardyce would have been interesting to see. I think what we've got now is a manager that is really for youth, which is what everyone wants is that buzzword. Um, There are question marks over the style of play, but in terms of the media perception and everything else, I think he's done a great job. Especially in difficulty. I think on a side note, focusing on Southgate in particular, what we also have to highlight is the complexities of his own job. You know, England has mm. seen massive issues over race in terms of Black Lives Matter and players taking knee. Huge waves of barrage of abuse of some of his key players. We're talking mm. Sterling, Rashford. Yeah. And more recently with Sancho and Saka, I think he's spoken really well about that. He's battled with government as well as fans protesting that. You know, that's not easy. We're talking about how the media have um, changed the perception of England football, which they have done. But then it wasn't that long ago where people were booing, taking a knee in the the warm-ups and when government were deciding to uh, say or to condone that and be like, yeah, that's fine. And I think it shows a real strength of character from not only Southgate, but the team to ride through that. You know, I'm not saying that the fans didn't boo when the game started, but I think for certain individuals within that squad, that can be very difficult to deal with, um, so I think that's that's credit to the young players you mentioned, the manager, and the media as well to try and uh, shape that.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I think it almost goes back to what I was saying earlier about the role of an international manager. Like, if you think about Southgate's role, he's almost like a statesman. He's like a politician, like member of yeah. parliament. Like, his role is almost like a, he's almost like a ministerial role because he has to actually deal with all these like political forces, all these kind of <laughs> issues in our society that. Don't apply to other football managers. Apply to him because he's representing the nation, um, mm. and yeah. So I think it's a good point, and I think he's handled it so well. So again, Team Southgate. Yeah, Team Southgate is always well. he's a good lad. And the final one is one of the final
1: sections to kind of look at is defeating, you know, old enemies. And what I mean by that is, look when you when you meet Gary the pessimist at the pub. <laughs> he will tell you that Croatia are past their best and you know, all their players are rubbish. And he will tell you that Germany are clueless and they had to call back like Thomas Muller because they don't know what they're doing. But in, I've seen England falter against the first average side or decent side they come up against in European tournaments. So I think that is a lot of progress for them to manage to do there. And it's very easy to go and say, oh, yeah, but they weren't that good. I mean, what do, what do people want? Like on, on a flip side, right? What do people actually want? <laughs> people are like, "People are like, oh, England only got tested in the final. England only got tested in the semis last time. It's like, I don't really know what you're trying to say. Do you want England to be in the group of death? Then they're supposed to face <laughs> Belgium. Then they need to face Portugal again somehow. Then they need to face Italy. Italy have 15, men. England have nine. I don't really know what, <laughs> what, fans, yeah. what fans want. But I think it, it does say a lot, in particular, the Germany game and the Croatia game where, you know, their, their pragmatic style, their energy and commitment you brought really key wins. In particular, Croatia, they really, really stifled Croatia. They were really vibrant in the tech. I thought they played really, really well. Foden, I thought, was excellent until he came off. And I think that really kick-started um, a good tournament. The Germany game was a bit different. They, they sat back and were very dogged. Um, they didn't create too much, but the chances they had were literally really really big chances as in the, the the probability of
0: those going in for the extra gods out there would have been very <laughs> high <laughs> yeah definitely um yeah that's it. well i do think we have a high caliber of player now as well which feeds into the you know well in addition to the point run south getting core um and the squad that we have so we do have a higher caliber of player and i do think we're now playing it um uh, more major european domestic um Fixtures for their clubs, so they played against better players more often. So when they come up against better teams, um, they actually did a bit better. I thought, you know, it did worry me in the group stages when we we started against Croatia. We did okay against Croatia, Scotland. We couldn't get past them. Czech Republic, we did okay. They had some a lot. Of, they had a few chances, and we managed to get through. with only scored two goals, and we didn't concede. But it was a bit of a concern. So when we came up against Germany, I almost thought when we came up against Germany, I was like, Okay, I'm actually kind of glad we're not playing against like a a minnow again because. I mean, you, you know, they, you played against a team that's parking the bus. Um, that can be so difficult to break down. Um, and it did worry me. I wanted to see how we were actually fed against a side that is better and therefore is less likely to sit back. In the end, it was us that was sitting back to an extent with that five, mm. just like we kind of did in, in the final. Um, but Forden is a prime example of someone who's had, uh, as the seasons went on, has had more minutes and more starts for Man City. I mean, he played against PSG um, in the Champions League, um, for example. Uh, semi-finals so um, I don't know if he's played in the final but it, he, it, it just shows where our players are now playing obviously back in the day we would go back, keep going back to the Capello era but that was like the that was just so painful enough just because of the green goal where it went through his legs <laughs> but just because mm. there's a lot of hype around that tournament in 2010 um, obviously we had players there who were playing for top sides you know Wayne Rooney and Steven Joe at Frontland parties these are all high calibre players playing big fixtures but I think across the whole 11 now we're seeing more players play for big sides and big games. That being said, players like Phillips and Rice, you know, for them, this—I mean, for them, for, for most like for most of those players, that game on Sunday was the biggest game of their career. Um, hmm. But even like the quarters and the semis for the people like Phillips and Rice, that's a massive learning curve for them. Um, and I think they'll still fare better for for going through um, this uh, this tournament. Um, and I'm just very glad as well that the. Uh, World Cup is next year, and not in like say two years. Um, so we can kind of try and hopefully build in a bit of momentum from this tournament, uh, and it's and then some of the players like Stones and Maguire, who I think have formed a good partnership, won't be too much older <laughs> as yeah. a result. Um, because as we've discussed offline, even though we've got more players playing higher caliber fixtures and we've got high caliber of player. There isn't in the spine, there isn't an absolute mountain of players coming through, which has been England's problems for a number of years. Yeah, I think you're you're bang on. Um, The only... England have,
1: you know, multiple, you know, like numerous options on the flanks. You know, left back, right back. Wings, both wings, and there are some there's some good attacking midfield options. I would say the yeah. likes of Mount Foden. I know he yeah, he plays wide for City, but you know he can play central. <laughs> um, but also James Madison. I keep forgetting cause he's been linked to the Arsenal. That's why. But James Madison, we've left at home. You know, there's been some really good players. I know there's there's Emre as well at Arsenal, and there's there's an abundance of young talent that could definitely play. Curtis Jones at Liverpool was another young player who so had a very very good season. So there are players that can come through into that middle. But my worry is actually the spine, like you said, but in particular striker, the drop from Kane and CB as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you know we have people like Ben White who is relatively young, twenty three, and Tamori is a similar age, maybe twenty two. But yeah, that is something kind of to look out for for England. But I think the future is bright. I think there's enough talented players there, and enough European sides that, as talented as they are, also have holes as well. Yeah, as much as, as as brilliant as Spain were in the tournament, I thought um, they didn't have any right backs. I know Marcus Lorente played there, but they seemed to be struggling there. Emerson mm. as Spinozola's backup. He I. I I don't know how many Premier League games he played for Chelsea, but it must have been under 10. Yet they were a very good side in the final. So I wouldn't say that England spine, spine is an issue as well, but it's not as if the rest of Europe are extremely powerful and untouchable. I mean, the, the, the future is definitely bright and hopefully uh, 2022 will end with beers and not tears.
0: <laughs> that's the uh, is that that's is that going to be the the new motto for the the new slogan for the podcast? I think. Why football? no tears no tears, no tears. Yeah, yeah, business, You know, what, I quite like it. To be fair, I should say to myself <laughs> after an Arsenal loss, maybe that might help me through <laughs> some dark times. go I've seen some tears after a few Arsenal defeats. <laughs> me <Oklahoma, the> <laughs> All right, that's as well. I think we'll wrap up there. Thank you so much for. um the discussion there on England how far they've come uh, particularly I think we drew a line from Capello onwards <laughs> even though yeah. it possibly could have went back further um, but yeah I think the future is bright I've kind of got over suddenly and you know look on to next um, the next, next year and the, the next tournament in 2022 and hopefully we can finally bring it home but yeah thank you all for listening and um, yeah we'll catch you next time cheers guys cheers guys